Hello there. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Talk to me, Goose. Restless. You steal the Declaration of Independence. Why so serious? I could do this all day. Are you watching closely? Welcome, everybody, to the One-Eyed Film Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Mossberg, and today we have my friend Deacon with me. Hello. Deacon and I have had a, an idea for an episode for a while now. He brought it up to me back when we started the podcast. He's done some research and is very interested in the topic of horror movies in the Christian faith, and we're going to be talking about that today. He's got a lot of good points to bring up and discuss. I may be playing devil's advocate a little bit. Some of them might be my own opinions that I bring up. This is a very touchy subject among Christians, and it's almost very a very obvious answer. Most Christians are against horror movies just almost automatically, but as we will discuss in this episode, maybe maybe be a little open-minded about it. And as you listen to this episode, just remember that this is for discussion. We don't require you now to watch a horror movie, whatever your opinion is at the end, but we want to have open discussion. And that's what Deacon and I are doing right now. And I hope that you will join in on that discussion in places like our Discord or our Instagram. So if you want to follow us over there and have those discussions, because this is a very controversial one that we want to touch on all perspectives. So if you have a thought that you would like to contribute to the conversation, join us there. But Deacon, I'm going to let you lead and I'm going to take a back seat. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. All right. Yeah. I thought I would lead with a disclaimer of my own. I recently re-listened to the episode zero that you put out and I'd like to reiterate some points that you brought up in that one and just kind of brought up to want to reiterate. If you do not feel comfortable watching horror movies, I am by no means encouraging you to watch them. I'm merely suggesting that it is not wrong to watch horror movies. Also, we're going to probably bring up a few specific movies throughout the podcast. This is not an endorsement of any specific movies. Maybe in the future we'll have a horror movie episode where we actually talk about a specific horror movie and we may or may not recommend that one in the future, but that's not what we're doing here. I'm not going to recommend any specific ones. We're talking more about the horror genre as a concept and not any specific movies. As well, this is kind of a Paul and the meat offered to idols situation where, you know, whatever your conscience convicts you of, that's neither here nor there. I'm not even entirely sure where I stand on here, but I am bringing to you an argument in favor of the horror genre. That being said, I am a podcast fan and I've always wanted to be on a podcast and I've always wanted my own show. And so I thought that if I got my own show, I'd want it to be a game show. So I, I didn't tell you about this beforehand, Seth, but I've come up with my own game show idea, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, and you're going to be the contestant on this game show. Sounds good. So my name is Deacon Bach and I will be your host today on Horror Movie or Bible Story. Okay, so this is really easy. I'm going to give you a synopsis of a story, and you tell me whether or not it came from a Bible or was a horror movie. Really easy. Sounds good. Okay, story number one. A man travels to a new, unfamiliar town. He's staying in a local hotel when some men try to break in to rape him. The men end up taking a girl traveling with the man and giving her to the crowds who were trying to break in, to which they rape and abuse her. Then she stays on the doorstep of the man trying to get back in until she ends up dying from the ordeal. Then the man ends up cutting her body to pieces. Is this a Bible story or a horror movie? Initially, I would have said a horror movie. That almost sounds like a Taken sort of type of story. See, the thing is, I know my Bible stories. That was oddly specific, so I would probably say Bible story. All right, second story. A king commits <laughs> many acts of murder and cruelty. This king is later praised by his subjects, to which the king is struck with an illness and falls and is slowly devoured by worms until he dies. That could be some sort of Game of Thrones type episode or something. So that, that, could, that could be a horror movie. Number three. The devil chooses a man to torment. He kills all the man's closest family, destroys all that he has, and causes him to have grotesque, painful sores on his body. The man is then visited by a terrible, all-powerful force that shows him his place of insignificance. Well, that one's a Bible story. Number four. A widespread natural disaster kills every living thing. The people die horrible deaths as they struggle to avoid dying, but the death does not come quickly. They suffer 
Long Prolonged Terror of Their Fate. Horror movie. And number five, a possessed man with long hair, long nails, and is naked stalks a local graveyard. He is supernaturally strong and torments the local population. The spirits eventually leave the man's body. They enter the bodies of some local animals, and the animals then run off a cliff, hitting the rocks at the bottom as they leave gory remains. Sounds like a horror movie. All right, Seth, would you like to know how you did? I'm scared to, but yes. Every single one of those was a Bible story, by the way. I knew it. <laughs> there were no horror movies in that whole thing. They were all Bible stories. The first one was, I believe, in Kings, or maybe it was Chronicles, where a man and his prostitute go into a town, and then they end up cutting up the prostitute's body after she was raped and died, and sending it out to the tribes of Israel to show them how wicked this area was, and they ended up provoking a war. The king in question here, I believe, was Herod, and I believe that is an axe where he's devoured by worms. The devil chooses a man to torment. I think you figured this one out. That one was Job. Number four, a widespread natural disaster kills every living thing. That's Noah and the Ark. And the possessed one, the last one there is Legion, the story of Legion. Mm -hmm. So now, Seth, why do you think I would bring these stories up? Because a lot of people don't realize that the Bible is not precious moments from beginning to end. There are a lot of graphic things that happened in real life that are not prescriptive, but instead descriptive of what did happen. Exactly. And so is there merit in talking about these stories that are in the Bible? Well, of course, they're in the Bible for a reason. They have a point. At the very least, it, it's the story of the world and God's glory in the end or something along those lines where there's a there's a reason that it's recorded. Yeah. So I want to know Seth Mossberg of the One Eye Film podcast. I'd like to know what you would define art as, like as a concept, just art. Most often art relates to beauty, but I wouldn't definitively say that it is always beautiful. For the most for the majority of art that exists, it is beautiful. That is its purpose, generally speaking. But it is to either create or to record or maintain a sense of beauty for somebody to enjoy later. And I, for everything that I create, whether physical art with projects that I make or simply something like this podcast, I want it all to glorify God and be a reflection of his creativity that is in us as image bearers of him. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a good answer. What draws people to art? What makes good art good art versus bad art? that you know isn't really that good well what, what do you mean and by then if we let's let's narrow that down actually let's narrow that down to film because filmmaking is an art form what is the difference between a good story and a bad story within the art form well are we talking about a well-made story versus a poorly made story or a morally good or morally bad story because while they do relate i do think there's a big difference i would say this is what i'm gonna challenge you with Okay. I would say that you're attracted by God to truth. We like truth. And I think that good stories that really engage us and make us feel good are stories that have truth in them. You know, we talk about the gospel in Marvel, or I remember a staff director at a camp where he once said that he was a philosophy major and he said, talked about how an argument could be made that like Deadpool was like an allegory for Jesus or whatever because he had a moment of self-sacrifice and then died and then came back right mm. and we talk about that as if it's kind of goofy because it is kind of goofy because Deadpool's very much an anti-hero he's not a good person as a general rule mm -hmm. but we talk about the gospel in Harry Potter or the gospel in Lord of the Rings now the Lord of the Rings is obviously written by J.R.R. Tolkien who famously hated allegory, but what I would challenge is that if in media that we would consider good, truth always seeps in. Because the best stories in the world are stories between the battle between good and evil. Very biblically based thing. In an atheistic world, you can't have a fight between good and evil because good and evil don't exist. These are all biblically grounded ideas within art. Agreed. It has some sort of redeeming quality, whether morally or visually. Right. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said that everything was good. Now we've corrupted that good. And that's where horror comes from, right? 
is we corrupted the world. The world became a sinful world, and that beats the horror. It's an inherent thing in a fallen world that horror will exist. Some Christians forget about when they're appealing to a Christian demographic or a Christian market, they want everything to be clean. But in a world where everything's clean and everything's marketable and everything is Noah's Ark and the rainbows, instead of people being drowned violently as they try to make their way up a mountain to escape the oncoming floods, we're denying the reality of the situation and we're trying to see it through a lens that just isn't reality. And I think that does Christians a disservice ultimately. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of movies and a lot of just ideologies in general where Christians have made their bubble and not allowed themselves to leave. Specifically with movies, there are certain studios that develop very frustrating films that do not reflect reality correctly. And we will we'll talk about that in a future episode. I want to cover certain Christian movies that are very difficult to watch because they don't display a, a, a actual reality that we live in. It's it's a fantasy because nothing in that movie would actually exist. But that's a topic for another time. In general, the Christian who knows that we need to separate ourselves from sin chooses sometimes to completely ignore sin and its presence in the world. This is where the nice Bible stories rise up to the surface as the most popular ones, and the ones that are more graphic and intense than others are lesser known, and that then influences away the way that a Christian may view the Bible or the world. Yeah, I I find it interesting that to many, the idea of Christian horror is an oxymoron, right? They're two opposite ideas that cannot be in the same sentence. I was reading this book by, I believe his name was Mike Duran. It was called Christian Horror, and it was an argument in favor of Christian Horror. And he's written several books for the Christian market. And he brought up the example that there are quite a few of his books he would consider horror. And he wasn't talking about his experience, but rather someone else's experience who wrote a book called Lazarus. And I remember the vague premise, but not well enough to actually describe it. But he submitted the book to be published by a Christian book publisher under the subcategory of Christian horror. And they changed it, I think, to like supernatural thriller or something. And he, in the book, laid out a list. And every time in his experience, there's like a list of names for these books that aren't Christian horror, but they denote the same thing. But as the Christian market, or at least the people on top in charge of the Christian market, have this aversion to putting Christian and horror in the same title, that they don't object to the contents in the book. That's the interesting thing, Mm -hmm. is they didn't object to printing the book because of the contents. They objected to printing it under the guise of horror, even though that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's just a general commentary on the Christian market in general, is that it wants to be marketable rather than portray truth, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, the other goofy thing to me is that people kind of put horror into a box. Like, when you think of horror, what do you think? I usually think of gore or jump scares or something like that, either movies like It or Annabelle or something like that. I usually don't tend to put anything like a war movie in horror because that is, and we'll probably talk about this, a realistic kind of representation of what goes on and kind of a an awakening moment to be like, oh, that's that's the brutality of war. But most of the time it's a mix between thriller and gore where you can either be on the edge of your seat and heart racing and scared is mostly the word that comes to mind yeah i mean horror as a genre it's been around as long as humans have been around it's hard to know what adam and eve were thinking when they were hiding from god right Shamed. I'm assuming they were maybe a little bit scared. I figure they were probably scared once they got kicked out of the garden, at least, and they had to kind of fend for themselves. But horror as a feeling is described as fear, shock, and disgust. And the goal of the horror genre, right, is to make you feel those very strong emotions. But those emotions have been around in the religious sphere for as long as religion has existed, right? To an extent, they almost predate it. Mm. If you look at it, Christian art over the years has never shied away from the macabre. You know, paintings of the final judgment, I've 
been looking at some classical Renaissance art for the last month or so. And there's a few religious paintings of like the last judgment where God's going to judge everyone. And those are kind of disturbing. Like you see these depictions of people in suffering, like being sent down to hell. But that's a reality of, of religious horror. Dante's Inferno from Dante's Divine Comedy is another great example. Are you familiar at all with Dante's Inferno? No, I, I'm not familiar. Dante's Inferno is one part to Dante's trilogy, or it's one book, I don't remember which, called The Divine Comedy. And it's about Dante's journey. He's writing about himself as he goes through a journey trying to get to heaven. And he has to journey through the Inferno, or hell, through Purgatorio to get to Paradiso, which is heaven. And along his journey, he's guided by different mentors or whatever as he's trying to make his way to heaven. But it's his artistic rendition of hell. And it's got a lot of disturbing imagery in it. But the point being, the origins of horror, like the oldest recorded stories of like horror, have come from the world's major religions, right? Whether it be stories in the Bible or stories like the epic tale of Beowulf, which uh, people including H.P. Lovecraft would consider to be one of the earliest recorded horror stories, was written down by a Christian monk. Now, it included some pagan myth, but it also included a lot of religious imagery and symbolism within the tale of Beowulf. All that to say, until recently, Christian artists have not shied away from horror. So I want to pick your brain a little bit, Seth. I've been talking quite a bit. I want to pick your brain. Why do you think that the Christian market as of late has decided to shy away from it? From what I've heard from a lot of people, as I've prepped for this episode, I've been talking to others, seeing what their opinions are. Some people have just straight up said they're scaredy cats, which I think is funny. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> if if you if you easily get scared, then maybe it's it's an aversion you can have. A lot of people, yeah. however, say that they do not feel comfortable with supernatural horror because to them it is a gateway to opening the door to the supernatural world, which is very real. Demons and angels are very real, and to them it is a way to cause unnecessary spiritual conflict, whether with the individual or just in general with people around them. Yeah. And and alongside that, on top of just the supernatural horror, there is also the gore element that is often associated with horror movies that some people want. Some people might just not be comfortable with anything of that sort, which is understandable, but also it's a understanding that if you're seeing the image of God being mutilated and anything that would happen in a horror movie, it's one, unnatural and also disrespectful in a sense, though most of it is fake for a movie and all CGI or prosthetics or anything like that. It's still uncomfortable to watch and possibly personally disrespectful if you are endorsing or watching that. Yeah, I did, in fact, pull up a quote from you from episode zero. Quote, there are movies that are objectively not okay for a Christian to watch, like spiritual horror. Now, that's the only quote I pulled up because I was going to go through like your entire discography <laughs> and try to find all the quotes that I could wedge to my advantage. And I was going to do that, but I actually had a conversation with a friend over the week in which halfway through the conversation, or actually as I was typing up my response to what they said, they were talking to me about a struggle they were going with in their life. And I, I was writing up my response and I stopped halfway through. And I thought to myself, what am I really responding with here? And I realized that I was responding with an argument. And instead of having a conversation with someone who was looking for answers, I was trying to argue with them about what the truth was. And mm. I decided uh, while trying to drudge up quotes from you that that's not the goal of this podcast isn't to have a debate about whether or not Christians can watch horror. It's uh, to have a conversation about it. So I didn't pull up any more quotes, but I thought I'd keep that one around. So I had your um, official position on supernatural <laughs> horror in writing. Let me let me let me explain just because I, I am kind of coming off of a worldview of it is how it is and I shouldn't question it. So that was one of those things that I felt strongly about and yet 
you brought up the topic of this episode and I would, depending on where this discussion goes, I would say that I am willing to revise that statement of mine, but let's see where this conversation goes. Thank you for using my words against me. <laughs> Seth, you don't understand. I'm going to destroy your argument so bad <laughs> that you're going to go back and you are going to strike that sentence from the entire episode zero. Like that, that, that sentence isn't even going to exist anymore. They're going to go back, Seth, to fact check me that you actually said it, and they're just not going to be able to find it because you struck it. Please, please do. I look forward to it. Now, my parents, I was homeschooled, and you were homeschooled as well, right? Yes, I was. And, you know, as a homeschooler, I'm sure your parents, similar to mine, had kind of a monopoly on the content I consumed. Nothing that I watched didn't go through them. And so they kind of always did their thinking for me, but I'm kind of a free thinker and I like to come up with ideas on my own. And so I would argue with them a lot about the content that I consumed. You know, it never went anywhere, but you know, I gave it a honest effort, but that always put me into the perspective when entering new media. And I'm thankful for this perspective. And frankly, I'm thankful that my parents censored a lot of what I watched because now that I'm 18 and I like watch some of these movies, I'm like, yeah, I can see why I wasn't allowed to watch that. And I respect the fact that I didn't watch it till now, but that means that when I go into new realms and I'm like now trying to navigate this, because I'll tell you a story. A few months after I turned 18, I was at a friend's house and we had just finished playing a board game and they were going to watch John Wick. I know my dad's opinion on John Wick and I had inherited from him a similar opinion on John Wick. And well, I literally stepped outside of the house because I didn't want the other people in the house to hear me have this conversation with my dad. But I called them at like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, these guys are watching John Wick. Am I allowed to watch John Wick? And my dad just told me, dude, you're 18. You get to make that decision now. Mm. And so that was kind of an awakening for me where I was like, oh, I this is my decision now. This is in my hands. I'm, I'm living at college right now. And I could watch whatever I wanted. My dad made it very clear, by the way. He gave me his opinion after that. He made it very clear that his he was always open to giving his opinion and his wisdom to me, but ultimately that decision was up to me. But that being said, that means that lately I've been going into new genres with an open mind. A discerning mind, just like the podcast encourages, but I've been trying to go into new genres with a discerning mind, trying to figure out the merit in the genre. Now, all of that being said, when I realized that most people were against the supernatural horror genre, I was honestly surprised because I had been doing my research a while before because I tried to have an HP Lovecraft phase in my early teen years. You ever have an HP Lovecraft phase, Seth? No, honestly, I, I don't even know who that is. So, Okay, do you know who Cthulhu is? Yes. Yeah, he's the guy who made Cthulhu. Gotcha. Among a bunch of other eldritch horrors. But I read this art Christian article on why Lovecraft wasn't a scary concept for Christians. And so I'm going to give you a horror lesson in the three pillars of horror. There's physical, so that's like gore and disturbing imagery and stuff like that. There's supernatural horror, which as the name would suggest, is supernatural things. Yeah, you know, ghosts, demons, the like. And then there's the third, which is cosmic horror. Now, H.P. Lovecraft explored the dimension of cosmic horror. Now, the supernatural side is to... Its goal in making you feel a sense of horror, a sense of dread, is to have this force that is beyond you and is interacting in your life and, like, terrorizing you and you don't know what it is and what it's doing. That's the horror that comes from that. Violent horror, obviously, you like your body, I like my body, and I don't want my body to be ripped to shreds. And so that's disturbing, and frankly, we just have a gut reaction to seeing gore of disgust. Like, when I see my organs on the floor, I'm not supposed to see my organs on the floor. Those aren't supposed to be there. They're supposed to be inside my body. Even even the reaction you have to a broken bone or something like that, where it's just an injury that doesn't sit well with most people. Yeah, exactly. Or like, I'm a big uh, football guy, and I watch 
a bunch of highlight channels. And sometimes some of these plays, like where they'll show a clip of a head injury or an, a leg injury, like they're kind of hard to watch sometimes because mm-hmm. we know that's not supposed to be what happens. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately that, in that sense, that calls to our heavenly nature where we're longing for heaven. Like without God, we don't have this sense of peace at all. And we're disturbed by what goes on here on earth because we know that's not how it's supposed to be. We know this that that isn't supposed to happen. And so that's a little bit of longing for heaven. Cosmic horror is the idea that you are insignificant. That is the whole idea behind cosmic horror. The entire thing in Lovecraft, Lovecraft was considered to be at least one of the originators of cosmic horror. And he talked about these eldritch gods like Cthulhu that were so beyond human comprehension. That was the thing, and the reason why cosmic horror isn't usually turned into horror movies is because the horrors that he describes are undescribable because the human brain cannot even comprehend what it's seeing. And the entire idea is that you are insignificant in the universe. And that to, let's say an atheist is kind of a horrific idea to think about, to think that you are meaningless and nothing you'll ever do amounts to these eldritch gods who are playing with you like you live in a dollhouse. Like it's, I mean, it's kind of a disturbing thought. As an example, one of uh, Lovecraft's eldritch gods the world that we're living in and we're operating in is within a dream. All of human history has happened within this dream of this being that's floating in space. And as soon as that being wakes up, our existence disappears. That's how meaningless we are in the grand scheme of things. We're just a, we're just playing a dream in someone else's brain. I mean, there's other examples, but... That's one of Lovecraft's stories, you're saying? Yeah, or... I don't know if it's in one of his stories, but it's within his mythos. Gotcha. Uh, one of his actual stories, which I've had, is about the King in Yellow's play. And so there's this play called The King in Yellow, and it was written by some random dude in the Middle East because everything supernatural and Lovecraft's mythos comes from the Middle East. But it's this play that reveals to you the truth of the universe. And I think this breaks down really what Lovecraft's concept of horror was, is... There's this play that reveals the secrets of the universe to you. And anyone who reads this play and learns the secrets of the universe goes mad and kills themselves. That's how disturbing the secrets of the universe. And he had a quote that he thinks that the biggest mercy the universe has given humans is ignorance. Hmm. Like, the best thing that we have is the fact that we don't know. We don't know what's out there. And so in that sense, we get to keep our sanity. His famous quote is, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. You know, you think back to, like, ancient times. Like, we think we know stuff now. We don't know anything now. But we know a little bit more than the people way back when, when they look up at the night sky and they thought that there was just, like, a sky canopy set up by the gods and, like, the stars were just kind of painted on or whatever. That's his idea of fear, is he was a strong, strong atheist, perhaps the most pure of the atheists, where he thought that man was meaningless, and that's what truly terrified Lovecraft as a concept. Now, bringing this back to Christianity and horror, right, is when I read Lovecraft. Like, everyone talked about how scary he was, and he's, like, the father of horror or whatever. And I was never once scared, because I have hope. I know that the God of the universe who created everything created me, and he loves me and cares about me. In fact, he sent his son to die to save me. And so the fear of the unknown is almost non-existent. In fact, the fear of being meaningless is almost meaningless to me. Because I can't understand that. I empathize with atheists who would be terrified of the idea of being insignificant and being a blip in the cosmic timeline. But I don't have that fear because I have hope. And so as the argument proceeds, right, we talk about physical horror. And yes, it's gross out. You're going to have a gag reflex when you see blood and guts and gore and whatever. That's natural. That's part of the body human's natural reaction to gore. However, the Bible says, Jesus says, do not fear those who can only kill the body. And once they've killed the body, can no longer do anything to you. Fear him who can cast you into hell 
after you're dead, right? That's who we should really be fearing. So ultimately, physical horror shouldn't really be that scary. Disturbing? Sure. Something you want to put into your life? Eh, probably not. But but it's not something that we should ultimately fear, right? Because this is just a temporary body. We're going to get a new one in heaven. Like, I don't need this one. So apart from our physical reflex or, like you said, gag reflex or aversion to just the body happening to fall prey to sin and a bone breaking or whatever may be included in a physical horror movie. Regardless of that, it should not be scary if we have a correct view of what we hope for in a heavenly body and understanding that we are in a tarnished, poor example of what we will have in the future. Yeah, that's correct. Where does that leave us, Seth? What, what, what's the last genre here on the horror spectrum? Hmm, it's the supernatural horror. Correct. So, this is the part that I find goofy to me about the Christian Marquez's version of horror, specifically supernatural horror. I can't find who was the original quote. I don't know if anyone knows who the original person who said it was, but they said that the role of the artist is to not look away. Um, mm. So that being said, art is supposed to convey truth and a realistic picture of the world. So why do we have an aversion to stories that feature the supernatural? Because as a Christian, I believe very firmly in angels and demons and Satan. So why should we not be able to have depictions of it? It's a reality we live with. So why should we not be able to depict it? I would say one way is that we don't want to glorify it. And there is a line. I would say there's a line between depicting and glorifying. But there are genuinely some directors or studios that want to glorify it. And that's a terrible reality. But when it comes to depicting, I, I don't have an answer. Yeah. So... Seth, can you tell me, like, just picture in your head a generic horror movie, like the most generic horror movie, and look at Satan in that horror movie, and can you describe him to me? Just, like, in your head, whatever you picture, can you describe Satan? Generic horror movie featuring Satan. You have your classic, you know, horns and red skin and all that. Looks like he's been burning a little bit, if that's if that's what you're meaning. That is the worst PR for Satan <laughs> of all time. If I I don't know who he has down in that like a sulfur getting up his Twitter posts, but like that's <laughs> terrible press coverage right there mm -hmm. for him. I I believe in calling a spade a spade. People who know me know that I will not shy away from stating my opinion on things. <laughs> and I think that the devil is ugly, and I think that he looks Downright, might I even say mean, <laughs> maybe even evil. I could even stretch myself to that. But, you know, in most movies, specifically horror movies, why do we find the actions of Satan horrific? Because they would go against anything that's good, true, or beautiful. Exactly. So are there horror movies that glorify what the devil does? Absolutely. However, as far as calling evil evil i don't know if there's a single other genre that does a better job at showing evil that is what horror is is depictions of evil why do we feel fear and disgust is because we're looking in the face of evil you don't have to look deep and close with a magnifying glass to find the evil you don't need the bible you don't need scripture we know that what's going on is evil and that is why we're disturbed Mm. The Bible says that Satan can clothe himself and disguise himself as an angel of light, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, personally, that seeing Satan in camouflage while he's hiding in a romance movie, an action movie, a PG kids movie, I think that Satan, personally, is a lot more terrifying and a lot more effective than Satan wearing bright red in a horror movie. And, you know, maybe that's... A controversial take. So in the book I read about Christian horror, and this might sound like sidestepping a little bit, and it might sound extreme, but just bear with me, please. What are what, what do you think about romance, Seth? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the romance genre or romance in general? Listen, I know you have romance in real life, so <laughs> I'll just pretend like... Because I've definitely had a girlfriend, believe me. I've had so many girlfriends, you wouldn't believe it. So I know a lot about romance, mm -hmm. which is why I'm asking you. Tell me about the romance movies. The romance movies are often pretty cheesy. They're very lovely 
lovey-dovey, love at first sight, emotional breakup, but get back together. You know, they kind of have an air of the, the Hallmark movies, or often unbearable for the guy to watch, but the girl goes, oh, it's so, it's so cute. But in general, for the most part, romance movies are all about that, and I believe the point you're getting at is they are usually not depicting of a Christian relationship where they they wait for marriage, they reserve themselves until they're committed and all of that. It is very open in what they do. I was not quite what I was getting at, but you are helping me make my point. Okay. Anyway, what are your thoughts on porn? Porn is one of the hardest sins to combat, especially as a male. It is very effective because it is more than just a sin like lying is a sin. It affects you chemically in the brain. There are chemicals that are released in the brain that are influenced by watching porn or any provocative or suggestive images or videos like that. And so more than just lying where it is a mental game where you need to have power over the desire to lie or any other sin, porn is especially difficult to overcome and to beat because it is an addiction that can develop in your in your mind and very few men don't struggle with it and i i say men but men and women i know both struggle with this sin it's very prevalent in our society i agree i mean it's a sin against the body too right and Mm -hmm. that's part of what makes it so potent but what do the two things of romance movies and porn have in common and you touched on this a little bit when you talked about the romance movies they often walk the line of how much do you show how much do the characters do the one movie that i brought up in episode zero was when where the crawdads sing and when i went to go see that with my friends we were very surprised to see a lot of skin showing in that movie and that made us uncomfortable to be sure but that is an example of the characters not having the same convictions as we do or or as a christian does to wait for marriage as most christians desire i was reading this thing and where the similarities are is they both set up unrealistic expectations for both genders i'm just gonna make this generic here and say that boys watch more porn and girls are more on the side of romance movies as a generic statement what romance movies do is they set up an unrealistic expectation for women that for a relationship that guys are going to be like this they're going to have their free time they're going to have their act together and they're going to be able to partake in this very loving intimate relationship which frankly oftentimes is idealized in the movies and it sets up can set up in women an unhealthy or unrealistic expectation for a relationship and what that relationship is going to look like. Porn can affect the male brain into this idea of like constantly looking for sex, trying to have sex, and like sets up this unrealistic expectation for relationships that in a relationship there's going to be sex all the time. Now both of these are different and I, I agree one is probably much worse than the other one. But in the brain, they take what should be a good thing, sex and romance, that's a gift from God. He gave it to us. He gave us attraction to the opposite sex. But when we misuse it within art, we create unrealistic expectations and we end up poisoning our own brains and our own thoughts. Now, what horror, I think, one of its merits is, like I said, it doesn't try to disguise Satan. Satan in a romance movie can disguise himself as the leading male actor, the leading female actor, or he can disguise himself in a romance movie very well, and he can hinder relationships between humans via affecting how we think about relationships. And I would think that both of us probably agree that he's definitely in the porn industry, but we don't necessarily think that maybe he's in romance at least when you think about it but that's what makes him more dangerous in the romance rather than the horror is is he in the horror genre absolutely but when we see him in the horror genre we know he's the bad guy we don't like him he's the one who's making us scared and we don't want to be scared we don't want to be scared but when we're looking starstruck at this shirtless dude with like an eight pack of abs (laughs) that's where satan hides most effectively is because he looks attractive when he can slide into something like a romance movie. Now, I would define your terms a little bit more. That does not mean by any means that 
any good looking guy is Satan. Any good any any romance movie oh, is I would of be devil if uh, that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can attest to that. I've seen Deacon at the beach. What we're saying and what Deacon is getting at is that in in disguising himself as a wolf in sheep's clothing, it is a lot more difficult to find the evil in something that looks good rather than something that is blatantly evil and wrong and trying to find it. When you say Satan is dressing up as a ripped guy. What you mean by that is he could be the unrealistic expectations, trying to break down the wall of our convictions if you if we go with the general conception of women being affected by romance movies, our conviction of not every man has everything together. So presenting himself in a way that redirects the viewer to look at a situation in a way that is not biblical is where he strikes. And if that's Correct. If that's a romance movie for anyone, male or female, or porn for anyone, male or female, that is his goal, is to redirect your vision to something that looks good, but is not the truth. Anything that falls in that category, he is working in. Agreed? And I mean, that's the thing, right? That's what you kind of covered in episode zero, is that the idea that people aren't critically consuming their media and i almost say any more but i kind of doubt that they were always being critical of the media they consume anyway but there's good media out there and there's bad media out there and a lot of people don't think critically about what they go see or what they show their kids and so again not that the devil can't be in the horror he absolutely can he's in every genre but to say that there's some exception within horror he's especially potent in there i think is patently absurd because at least in horror it's depicting him as the bad guy and showing the bad side of him to be bad it's very clear where he is yep now the only thing that i would counter that with is it is still being made by a studio by a bunch of people for the enjoyment of the viewer whether it's the viewer who wants to be scared or the viewer who just wants to challenge themselves, whatever it may be, whatever reason they're going to see it. There's still a whole production that is being made to display whatever it may be, whether it's writing a story of a a ghost or demon or something haunting a human or like the thing when that first came out and it's a parasite that basically mutilates the human body. People are still making that for entertainment. That's what movie is for. It's for entertainment. And it's, I guess the most I have to say is it's unfortunate that they are doing that. And as the viewer, or even as the people putting work into this, it's not to show that it is bad or wrong, I guess, in the sense that what, like you were saying, Satan and sin in horror movies is very obviously bad or wrong. So my only point is that while we may see it as the viewer, there are people who are in the entertainment business, making those movies, maybe for money, but yes, to be entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of counter the counter, (laughs) but it's not really a counter, because I will acknowledge it, is absolutely. There are definitely torture porns, slashers, where the entire point is to quote-unquote entertain the audience with gore and like the most extreme vile things possible that's absolutely a genre and that's absolutely a market i do not disagree there but at the same time a little bit of a counter to that while acknowledging the truth of what you said going back to the romance movie example there are some people who genuinely were trying to make a good romance movie and like completely by accident made a romance movie that set up on real expectations there's an entire genre of like and i don't understand this i'm not a middle-aged woman but i'm also (laughs) so confused about the historical romantic christian fiction market but it's like historical fiction Mm -hmm. but it's a big genre there is definitely some people who purposefully understand that that's what women want to see and so for entertainment a create something that isn't realistic or a good portrayal or healthy necessarily to consume so while not completely countering because yes i acknowledge that there's bad horror that also comes with the territory of discernment of saying you need to discern which horror movies are worth seeing and which horror movies are not worth seeing 
just like you would any other movie. Some action movies are not worth seeing. Some action movies are worth seeing. A movie I watched very recently, which you also watched, a movie to which I very much enjoyed, and I know you did, Hacksaw Ridge. Mm-hmm. And I know that you said explicitly that you don't know if you'd put war movies in the same category of, uh, as horror. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. We don't have to. However, there are some very obvious horrific parts to the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Now, I loved the movie, and I thought the religious symbolism and the message of the movie was phenomenal. Really quick, for those of you who aren't aware, Hacksaw Ridge is a movie about Desmond Doss, who was a real man who put in a request when he was drafted for World War II to be allowed not to hold a gun and instead be a medic because of his personal religious beliefs. And because of that, he saved many men on the battlefield. And and this movie is a really good representation of conviction and how that can play out to your benefit, even when everyone else is laughing at you or not understanding. But it is a very, quote-unquote, realistic war movie. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll just... This is a minor, 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 minor spoiler. It's a thing that happens late in the movie, but it's not really a spoiler because you kind of see it coming. But they're creeping and they're advancing to this Japanese bunker on Hacksaw Ridge. And one of these officers, or I don't even know if it's an officer, one of the soldiers creeps up to this hill and he like places his hand on, I don't know if he thought it was dirt or if he knew it was a body, but he places his hand on the legs of what he probably assumed was a dead soldier. The soldier turns out to not be dead. Why the soldier's there, whether or not he was like instantly came back to cognition once he was touched or if he was planted as a trap. I don't really know. I don't really care. Anyway, the guy shoots up, sits up immediately and screams. And like, so the audience is completely jump scared by him. And from the bunker, the Japanese are alerted and the guy gets absolutely shredded with bullets, absolutely riddled with them. And it's gory and it was disturbing. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a disturbing, gory battle sequence because that's what is displayed in the opening. But that part specifically actually really disturbed me. And imagery of gore and whatnot is placed throughout the movie, throughout the battle sequence. But would you say, Seth, that the gore and maybe not the gore, but at least at minimum, the violence was necessary to the movie? Absolutely. If you can't can't really whitewash a war movie and make it nice and easy to watch, at least if you're going for realism. I know there are a lot of movies, Saving Private Ryan, 13 Hours, lots of movies that just show the brutality of war and the realism. Obviously, they're not actually committing violence against actors and causing them any harm. It's all practical effects or CGI, but it still gets the message across of the sad reality of war and its its destruction that it can cause. I'm glad that that's the case because I would be very concerned at the number of dead actors if those <laughs> But that being said, in this movie, I wouldn't necessarily all say that all war movies need the same level of gore and violence, but certainly All Quiet on the Western Front and Hacksaw Ridge. The point of those movies wasn't necessarily... All Quiet on the Western Front actually was an anti-war movie, but Hacksaw Ridge wasn't an anti-war movie. But it was it was necessary for the movie to show the brutality of war. Just like how All Quiet on the Western Front requires the showing of the brutality and the bloody reality to show why war changes people and why it's bad. You know, in the Hacksaw Ridge, we see Desmond's dad has severe PTSD. And we see the effect of war. And to be honest... I have had a non-traumatic life, and I'm grateful for that. I haven't had to experience anything remotely like that. But to get me to understand why someone would be disturbed like that, I have to be able to see something like what happened to understand where they're coming from. You know, Empathy can only go so far if you're just hearing about it. But to get a taste of, I'm not even going to pretend I know remotely, like, is what it's like to be in war. But to be disturbed by images of, like, what war was going to be like 
for those soldiers is the only way that that story can effectively be told. Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever learned about Desmond Doss in any of my history books, but if you had told me before I watched the movie that he was responsible, and this is not a spoiler because this is just historical fact, but he saved 75 people single-handedly. Now, if you had told me that, I would have had probably the reaction of, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, like that's solid. Like, I don't know if I could save 75 people. I probably couldn't. But, and like, I knew going into the movie that he single-handedly saved 75 people. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. To understand what he had to go through, I appreciated by the end of the movie, he saved 75 people so much more. But the only way I was able to appreciate and understand the gravity of what it meant, what it meant to be on that battlefield and save 75 people, the gravity of that situation was completely lost on me until I was able to see a glimpse of what it's like to have the horror of war and like the realism of what he's going through. Totally agree. Now, that being said, kind of directing it back to horror movies kind of is is sometimes depicting horror if it's appropriate for a war movie and we agree that it's appropriate for a war movie and Seth do you think that angels and demons and Satan exist and that they can affect our world absolutely then I think it stands to reason that it is absolutely appropriate to depict them in their true unflinching form within the bounds of media so we can see the devil for what it really is and there are certain stories need to be told should be told but can only be told if you add the horror of the supernatural specifically the demonic or satanic into the movie so you're saying you're saying to understand the weight of a situation that is supernatural seeing it on the big screen and feeling the emotions that the director wants us to feel whatever they may be is beneficial to us so that we can understand the gravity of any real life supernatural instances that we have yeah and let's expand this a little bit to the real world i was not alive for 9-11 i was but i was like six months old (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's one of those events where A lot of people, my parents included, could tell me exactly where they were when it happened. Mm -hmm. That's how impactful it was. Why is it impactful? Why is that so memorable? It's because they turned on the TV and they saw two buildings collapse in a terrorist attack. To understand, like, yes, it's bad, and I absolutely acknowledge it's bad, but it does not impact me the same way that it does my parents. Because my parents experienced it i i'm hearing about it secondhand i've seen photos or whatever but it doesn't affect me the same way because i was born after it happened i didn't experience it for us to understand the supernatural or be able to understand the reality of the devil in the world there needs to be able to have unflinching depictions of what satan's like in the Divine Comedy, Dante reaches the ninth layer of hell. If you've ever heard about the nine circles of hell, that comes from Dante and his journey through the Inferno. And at the bottom, it's this icy layer. And Satan is in the middle of it. And he has three heads, which is a perversion of the triune god. And they're each a different color, which represent a different sin or whatever. And he's like this ugly, weeping creature who's gnawing on Judas Iscariot as well as Brutus. And like Judas is literally hanging from his mouth with his feet dangling out. And he's just eternally being gnawed on by Satan. And it's disturbing and disgusting. But ultimately, what that serves to do is show you the reality. In this case, it shows the punishment that Satan's enduring, not that it's necessarily a realistic depiction, but it's showing that in The Conjuring, which I will not pretend to have seen, I have not seen The Conjuring, but from what I understand is it shows a girl who has been possessed by a demon and does a bunch of demon-possessed things. If they made a story of Legion, I would demand that if Legion was a movie, the story of Jesus and Legion, I would demand that that movie was rated R. Mm -hmm. Because it should be. It should be able to accurately depict 
what happened and demonstrate what Jesus was able to do. Mm-hmm. And so that this is ultimately the thesis of why Christian horror is a good thing and should happen is you need horror to frame good. The ultimate purpose of horror, what you should strive to do with horror, is to give hope. Hope is the ultimate thing. What does Paul say in Romans? Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that hope does not put us to shame. It's this idea that the suffering, the horror, all ultimately builds up to a message of hope. In the story of the conjuring, someone is possessed and eventually they're freed of that. That's the hope that we're seeking. In the Hacksaw Ridge, we're shown the horrors of war so we can see the hope and goodness and the self-sacrificial nature of Desmond Doss, who went into that horror. He went into that horror to save 75 people, some of them even being on the other side. He saved some Japanese soldiers too. And I think ultimately, you know, we'll talk in the future about The Passion of the Christ, which is considered to be a horror movie by many people because of the horrific nature of the crucifixion. Jesus came down to us into horror. Our world is fallen. And the fallen world is inherently horrific. He came in and he experienced horror and went through that ultimately to save us and give us hope. Which is kind of like I said, why I brought up Hacksaw Ridge is because in a way, him going in, Desmond Doss had a choice. He could have gone back to the base camp and he would have been fine. He chose to go into the horror to save others. And ultimately, from a Christian horror perspective, that's what horror should do. It should give us a realistic, unflinching perspective on the fallen nature and the sinful nature of the world so that we can see the hope that God provides for us. The goodness in the world can only be shown by contrasting it with the horror. That's the interesting thing is, you know how much religious imagery is in horror? A lot. Like, just think about it. There's a lot of religious imagery in horror generically. We live in a fairly atheistic society. We are going further and further away from God, and less and less people are believing in God. And yet, we continue to have this interesting fascination with supernatural horror, which the atheistic perspective should have completely discarded. We still have real religious imagery. Why? Because the imagery of the cross or any other sort of imagery like that has power, and the directors know that. Yeah, and I think that it ultimately calls back to the truth. Also, as I said earlier, an atheistic perspective cannot have this fight, this war of good and evil. In a good horror movie, in my opinion my metric would be where the horror is ultimately overcome by good, whether or not that's people or divine intervention or whatever the process being. To have evil in a story, there has to be a good to contrast it with. Is evil, if there is no good, there is no evil. Correct. You can have good and evil, but you can't have just evil. Right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he looked over his creation, right? And he said, it is good. I firmly believe that everything in the world was perfect. If evil existed before God created, that leads us to this idea of dualism. And dualism is like a yin-yang idea where good and evil fight, sometimes evil wins, sometimes good wins. And they're like these two cosmic entities that are constantly fighting over the universe. And that is an inherently non-Christian idea. Christianity believes firmly in a good God and corruption. Evil cannot exist without good because evil does not have the ability to create. God created everything, and he said it was good. Using free will and the choices that he gave us the ability to do, we created evil. We do evil things. Evil does not have the ability to create anything. And how I can demonstrate this is saying that every sin, in my opinion, is a perversion of a good thing. Lust is an inherently evil thing. However, is merely a perversion of romantic interest, which is a good thing that God has programmed us with. I think that God called us to be stewards and to be smart with our money. Theft is a bad thing, but the desire to want something and to work for something and to get something isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
God encourages us to work hard and to earn an honest living. Now we're going about that in a dishonest way. Every sin is a perversion of a good thing that God wants us to pursue. In a more pop cultural example is Tolkien's orcs from Lord of the Rings. They are evil beings created by Sauron, but the catch is they're not created by Sauron. Because Tolkien specifically made it that evil doesn't have the power to create their own race. They're corruptions of elves. They came from the elves, which are, like in Tolkien's mythos, good beings. And they were corrupted and they were turned into this disgusting, sinful version of the elves. Not that the elves didn't sin, but a evil version of the elves, which were the orcs. Because evil on its own does not have the power to create. Now, that being said, swinging it back to horror movies, if we're depicting an accurate representation of evil, an accurate representation of evil requires there to be good. Now, whether or not the director chooses to show the good is kind of up to them and how they do it. And I'd say a director who chooses not to include good is doing a major disservice to his movie and to the truth. But for there to be evil, there necessarily has to be a good. Usually the good comes from maybe the protagonist or one of the side characters in it. Or even some movies explicitly mention God, even if God doesn't do something in the movie, because we know sometimes God doesn't fix all the suffering. But that doesn't change the fact that he's still there. Well, I, you know the story of 300, right? Yep. Arrows up in the sky, blotting out the sun. What's still true about the sun? It's still there. The sun's still there. So ultimately with horror, again... Once you frame evil, you have the responsibility to have good, contrasting that evil. For sure. I mentioned to you briefly before, before we even started recording this podcast, and I regretted telling you about it because I kind of wanted to, now I wish I had just saved it. But idea of white magic. Black magic is negative magic that is meant to inflict harm or whatever, and that's usually what we think. When we think of magic, is black magic. Now, white magic is the opposite. White magic has the quote-unquote power to heal and to restore and to make holy. I think that oftentimes when people say that satanic imagery and symbolism are used, that it opens a door to the demonic room. And are they necessarily wrong? Maybe, maybe not. But what I do think is that we as a Christian culture, have maybe given too much power to these symbols. In Harry Potter, Voldemort goes by you-know-who. Almost everyone in the wizarding world refers to Voldemort as you-know-who. And as Dumbledore tells Harry, this is idiotic. Why is it idiotic? Because by refusing to say Voldemort's real name, we are giving him more power than he had. And by refusing to show, refusing to portray accurately demons, we are giving them more power than they had. By not being willing to look a demon in the eye, we are giving them more power over us because instead, every time we see that symbol, we panic and think it's demonic and it needs to be shunned and it needs to be censored. We need to look away. And I think that's inherently giving a devil, a Satan, more power than he should have. So where does white magic come in for that? I think that some of the reason the Christian market has shunned the horror genre as a whole is that the name horror automatically makes the content unclean. I think there was a controversy with The Conjuring where the existence of a uh, Ouija board, the device that can like communicate with spirits realm or whatever that the inclusion of that automatically kind of made it so christians can't watch so the absence of something such as a ouija board makes the film more christian more holy that is a another way of doing white magic by saying that the absence of something makes something more holy is like saying that the presence of something makes it holy J.R. tolkien's i'm not going to say that J.R. tolkien's world is holy but we can agree that there's a lot of uh religious symbolism and kind of like parallelism in the right? yes for sure and we can say the same thing about narnia Yep, even more obvious, but both of them were based yep. in the Christian faith. Yeah, but could we say that it's less holy because they didn't mention Jesus, or they didn't drop some scripture, or there wasn't a cross 
in the Narnia series or the Lord of the Rings series? No. Right. The absence of these quote-unquote demonic things that we've given all this power to doesn't make media more christ and doesn't make the media more holy. That's giving them power that they don't deserve. Just like the inclusion of scripture or a cru crucifix doesn't make things inherently more Christian. The absence of things doesn't make things more Christian. And so, as far as opening the realm to the, the demonic, absolutely. Could it do that? Sure. I have no doubts. Could any other genre accomplish the same thing of opening up the realm to the demonic? Yeah. Is the horror genre maybe more susceptible because it has depictions of the demonic? Quite possibly. However, by turning away from all things demonic and not being willing to explore as a topic is not accurate to the world around us. And that's trying to look at the world through a sanitized lens, which is not the job of the Christian. The job of the Christian is to look away, unflinching at the world, and be able to see the sinfulness in it. Also, how the sinful world, broken, horrific world, about the love and the hope that there is in Christ. Because the only way that you can overcome the horror of the horror genre and the horrors of the real world is with hope. And that hope is only found in Jesus. Amen. It's great words. Well said. I think this was a great conversation to have. You have definitely done your research. I really appreciate all that you brought to the table. And if you have any thoughts, we would love for you to join our Discord and bring them up for conversation, for everyone to be able to converse and talk about these things. Join us over there. Follow our Instagram where we post updates on when episodes go live and also highlights of the episodes. We are also now on YouTube and TikTok, so follow us there for short form content, clips from these episodes. Deacon, thank you so much for being here. I hope we can do another episode sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And with that, I hope you guys have a great day. We love you. Peace. Bye.